Boris Johnson is one of those politicians for whom the normal rules of political gravity don't seem to apply to him. Boris Johnson and some of his senior officials are accused of partying in Number 10 Downing Street while the country was locked down. He seems to be able to hop from lily pad to lily pad without ever sinking below the water. So far, 2022 has been marked by scandal for the UK's Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, a scandal known as Partygate. The report talks of high standards not being met by those setting the rules, of excessive alcohol consumption in the workplace and gatherings without clear authorization or oversight. The opposition has called for his resignation. By routinely breaking the rules he set, the Prime Minister took us all for fools. And while an investigation into the parties continues, he's already facing fines. I've paid the fine and I once again offer a full apology. But how much could Partygate affect Johnson's future as Prime Minister? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. I'm Paul Brennan. I'm a reporter with Al Jazeera English based in London. And frankly, Partygate has been occupying a lot of my time in recent months. With a name like Partygate, you know it's going to be good. So, Paul, would you break down some of the accusations that Prime Minister Boris Johnson is facing under this Partygate scandal? What happened at the end of November was... Rumours had started to circulate that in the height of the pandemic, when everybody in the public domain was locked down and prevented from meeting each other, the revelation started to emerge that parties, gatherings had been taking place at Downing Street. Boris Johnson forced to apologise for attending what appears to be a party during strict lockdown in May 2020. His office has always claimed this was a work meeting. Boris Johnson now facing calls for resignation. And the list became rather extensive. It isn't the first time it's happened. Earlier that month, another gathering with food and wine and a reported Christmas party. The first one in May of 2020 was a number 10 garden gathering. And this is where things started to get blurry because Downing Street is both the Prime Minister's office and his home. There was a kind of legitimate blurred line there that he was trying to argue, which was that, you know, this is my office and these people who are in the garden at this location are working. It's a workplace, not just a a home. But what it showed and photographs started to emerge of wine being drunk and cheese being eaten and people not observing social distancing. Nobody told me and nobody nobody said that uh, this was something that was against the rules, it was a breach of the the COVID rules, that we were doing something that wasn't a, a work event. And as the revelations continued to drip out during the course of that four to six week period of December and January of this year, examples such as 20th of May, a bring your own booze party invitation, which was sent out by the prime minister's own principal private secretary to around 100 staff. These weren't impromptu. Which doesn't sound like a work event. No, it wasn't. 
Boris Johnson is under fire over the Downing Street Bring Your Own Booze Party during the first lockdown. An email leak showing 100 people being invited to socially distanced drinks at Johnson's residence in Downing Street in May 2020 and to bring their own booze. It was clearly in contravention of the legal rules, the legal restrictions which were in place for the rest of the public at the time. Another one was in June of 2020. It was the Prime Minister's 56th birthday. He'd had meetings during the course of that morning. And then somewhere around lunchtime, he was presented with a birthday cake. The phrase ambushed by cake was used to try to mitigate what had actually gone on. He said it was just a quick gathering involving the people that he'd already been working with throughout the whole of the day. They took a pause from their work, a birthday cake was presented, he blew out the candles and that was it and everybody went back to work. But the fact is that strictly speaking, that is not work. That is clearly a social interlude in the middle of work. So you mentioned some of the most talked about events, but take us back to that time in the UK. What were people feeling? What were people dealing with? Because from this vantage point, speaking in 2022, after rounds of vaccines and people are mingling again, it can be hard to kind of grasp what that lockdown felt like for British citizens. So remind us, what was life like? The first lockdown was a real shock to the British public. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. The UK has recorded its first day of more than 500 deaths. More than 21,000 people have now died from coronavirus in UK hospitals in one of the world's worst outbreaks. Everything was shut. People were told to stay at home. People were ordered to stay at home unless they were in an absolutely essential role. And the isolation that came along with that was something that the British public had never encountered before, not since the Second World War, for example. But even then, people were allowed to hug each other. So it was a very, very scary, very worrying time uh, for the British public. And what did Boris Johnson say when these accusations first came up? His approach to the revelations as they started dripping out was, first of all, to outright deny that anything untoward had gone on. Then secondly, presented with the evidence that clearly had been gatherings and they clearly didn't look like entirely work-related gatherings. He was adamant to say, no, these were work-related gatherings and everybody observed the rules. What I can tell you is that all the guidelines were observed, continue to be observed. And then when photographic evidence then started to emerge, showing that people clearly weren't observing the rules, a personal aide called Allegra Stratton was joking about it in a uh, the, the mock press conferences that they rehearse in the Downing Street briefing room. And she laughingly described it as a party. It was a video that was never intended to see the public light of day, but it did get leaked. This fictional party was a business meeting. <laughs> and it was not socially distanced. And, and clearly, Boris Johnson's denials were becoming increasingly incredible and unbelievable. So at that point, he then decided to order an internal inquiry, essentially deflecting the whole issue to some point uh, weeks or perhaps even months into the future. And as part of that, one name we've heard the prime minister use a lot is Sue Gray. So who is Sue Gray and why is she important in this investigation? 
Sue Gray is a, is a really intriguing character because of her apparent determination to stay out of the limelight, certainly before Partygate, which led some people to describe her as the most powerful person in Britain that you've never actually ever heard of. She's a career civil servant. She's risen up through the ranks of Whitehall, as we call the corridors of government. And her influence has been summed up by, by many influential people within Whitehall. I mean, uh, senior politician Oliver Lethwin said, unless Sue Gray agrees, things just don't happen. Cabinet reshuffles, departmental reorganizations, the whole lot, it's all down to Sue Gray, said Lequin. Nothing moves in Whitehall unless Sue says so. And so she is compiling a report. The full report hasn't been released yet, but what do we know about her findings so far? Sue Gray's report was kind of, I use the colloquialism, kiboshed by the police who, after resisting calls to get involved. The police then rather belatedly got involved, literally at the 11th hour, just as Sue Gray's full report was due to be published. So what she had to do was publish an interim, like a progress report. In that progress report, she didn't go into the specific gathering. She painted instead a more broad brushstroke picture of the kind of culture that there was in Downing Street at the critical period. She said that some of the gatherings had represented a serious failure to observe standards. She said there were failures of leadership and judgment, and some of the events simply sh shouldn't have been allowed to take place. And the staff who wanted to raise concerns, by the way, felt that they couldn't do so. And, and so Sue Gray, without sort of pointing the finger at specific people, least of all the Prime Minister himself, really did hammer home a, a painted picture of a really quite dysfunctional Downing Street. What do we know about the police's investigation? Well, the police issued some 100 questionnaires to people who were known to have been in Downing Street at that time. And they included both staffers. They included the prime minister himself, Carrie Johnson, his wife, who lives in the flats upstairs, police officers who were on duty at the time. You know, don't forget Downing Street has a large police security detachment who are there on a rotating basis, 24 hours a day. So there was a lot of spotlight on the police for their lack of action during those crucial months of, of 2020 and early 2021. But now they are starting to issue what we call fixed penalty notices. But the process is ongoing. What are Prime Minister Johnson and the people involved in these parties facing now? As far as fines go, Boris Johnson well, he's already been fined once, and that's a £50 fixed penalty fine. It doesn't go on a criminal record, so it doesn't mean he has a criminal record, but it does mean he's broken the law. The police investigation continues, and the fines will continue to be issued until the police have cleared the whole backlog and finally done their work so that Sue Gray can then go about finally issuing her final report. So this means that Boris Johnson has become the first prime minister to be sanctioned for breaking the law while in office. What type of consequences could this have for his future? Could he be removed from office? He could. He could. At the moment, I think it's unlikely. If you'd asked me this, that, that same question in early January, then there was a real appetite, I think, for Boris Johnson to be ousted. There was a lot of anger. That said, the times have changed. The political world has moved on. And for him to be removed, you would need 54 Conservative MPs to submit a letter 
to the chairman of an arcane committee in Parliament called the 1922 Committee, which is a Conservative Party committee, demanding a, a vote of no confidence in the Prime Minister. What Paul is saying here is that a total of 54 Conservative members of Parliament need to send a letter to the 1922 Committee to trigger a vote of confidence on the Prime Minister. If that happens, then over 50% of the 359 Conservative MPs need to vote to depose Johnson. But that's not all Parliament can do against the Prime Minister. There will be a vote as to whether Boris Johnson should be uh, subject to an inquiry over whether he misled Parliament. And misleading the House in the UK Parliament is one of the most grievous crimes that there possibly can be. And if the House, this committee rules that all of these denials that Boris Johnson uh, recited week after week, denials which have now been proved to be essentially false, then does that amount to misleading the House? People would say that it does. The sanctions for that are a written or an oral apology. He could be forced to, to give. He could be suspended from participating in the business of the House of Commons. He could even be expelled. I don't think he'll get expelled. That, that's probably too serious for this, but he could be suspended. And that is really much more damaging to Boris Johnson than a £50 fine, that the political damage would be immense. You know, Paul, what I find so interesting about this is that the crux of this could hinge on whether or not Boris Johnson misled the House. But what about the people? Because I think it has to be underscored here that if he broke the rules, they were rules that he made, right? That's right. This is the the, the root of the anger, the public anger in all of this. And this is why it's a scandal. First rule of leadership is lead by example, and how anyone can make a rule and then break it is just utterly astounding. Now, as far as opinion polls go, it seems that, frankly, the polls are rather steady, despite uh, party gate. I mean, the opposition Labour Party has been leading the Conservatives since December. I'll run you through some of the figures. In, in the last fortnight, this is before the police announced the fine for the Prime Minister. About half of all voters, 52%, felt the Prime Minister should resign. But among Conservative voters, only around 30% were saying that the Prime Minister should resign. And now, only about a quarter of Conservative voters believe that the Prime Minister should resign. So it seems that the Conservative voters are not yet ready to depose Boris Johnson or, or see their MPs depose Boris Johnson. I mean, I think the reason for that is because there doesn't seem to be anybody else who would take Boris Johnson's place at the moment within the Conservative cabinet. But that's another story. Wow. So that stat on Conservative voters is interesting, especially given the fact that we've seen at least one Conservative MP quit his role. I'm talking about Conservative David Wolfson, who stepped down from his role as Justice Minister following the news of the fine on Johnson. So when it comes to Johnson's own party, the Conservative Party, how are they reacting to this news? After the Brexit uh, votes of 2019, Johnson became prime minister and essentially purged his parliamentary party of the moderates, the wet, the anti-Brexiteers, the pro-European wing was exiled and, and destroyed, essentially. And so although there have been voices of dissent, but as far as expecting prominent cabinet colleagues to dis 
tap tap the uh, prime minister on the shoulder and say, look, Boris, perhaps it's time for you to step aside. We're not seeing that this time. And Boris Johnson appears to have quite cynically, perhaps quite wisely, certainly politically, insulated himself by appointing these yes men and yes women to the crucial jobs of uh, Minister of State around him. And all of this is happening, the police investigation, the fines, while the country is facing a surge in inflation of 7% last month, which is the highest in 30 years. On top of that, a 54% increase in energy costs is going to hit household bills this month. So how are people reacting to this? Has the economy overshadowed Partygate? It has to a certain extent. The, the cost of living crisis is very, very real here. You know, everybody feels it. We're coming into spring here now in the UK, but the news that the cap on energy bills, which is imposed by the government to prevent energy bills going excessively high, that cap has been lifted now. And I know friends who, who've simply had to turn off the heating and, and are facing the reality of cold houses. Mm. And people are faced with the stark choice here. And we hear a lot of it day in, day out of people being forced to either eat or be warm. And, and they can't afford to do both. Boris Johnson, he seems to defy political gravity. In the past several days, has announced a really startling new immigration policy where single men arriving in the UK by boat from anywhere, illegally, essentially, will now be taken by plane to Rwanda in Central Africa, where they will be processed. Wow. But they won't be processed to be brought back to the UK if they are judged to be a refugee. It's a, a one-way ticket. If they're judged to be a refugee, Rwanda will house them as refugees. And at a time when Partygate has been dominating the headlines in recent days, these are the kind of misdirection that to distract the public from looking in one direction, which is potentially problematic, to another policy, which is controversial, but popular among Boris Johnson's core Conservative Party voters. So the question is, we know there will be local elections on May 5th. Are we expecting to see the people's reactions to these events reflected in the polls? I think we are. Prominent critic is a principled Conservative MP called Tobias Elwood. He is one of those MPs who is willing to sit on his hands as far as calling for Boris Johnson to resign for the moment, but saying that the May elections really should be a litmus test as to whether Boris Johnson is fit to lead the Conservative Party into the next general election. And yeah, the Conservatives are certainly going to take a hit. It, the question is exactly how badly they will uh, be hit how many crucial councils they will lose control of, how many individual councillors will lose their seats and, and how well Labour will do, the main opposition party. It is a crucial, crucial period for Boris Johnson. With all of these major issues facing citizens of the UK, why does the party gate scandal matter? And how does it affect people's perception of their nation? Partygate matters because it affects our trust in government. And the fact that Boris Johnson has so 
shamelessly, I use the word cautiously, but wholeheartedly, shamelessly denied the obvious events that took place under his own roof, really calls into question his judgment, his character, and his credibility. And the fact that Britain has him as its leader really reflects on all of us as well, all of us Britons. It matters because the truth matters. And it matters that a prime minister can stand up week after week under interrogation from members of parliament, the members of parliament who represent us in the UK, and flatly deny what was happening under his own roof. It, it, it's, it leaves a bad taste in the mouth. It really does leave a bad taste in the mouth. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Ney Alvarez with Amy Walters, Nagin Oliai, Alexandra Locke, Ruby Zaman, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya El-Milek and Adam Abugad are our engagement producers. We'll be back. <laughs>